Now, have you heard the intro? I should read the intro just in case you haven't heard have it. Have I heard it? Or read it. Sorry, did you read it? In this um, I read, no, I read the maps and atlases one, but not this one. Okay, I'll, I'll read it again. Okay. Welcome to The Radio Cure. I'm your host, Nathan Seal, and each week Jeremy Cohn and I talk about new albums and artists in and around the indie music landscape. This week, we continue to ask the question, what if all our 90s bands... <laughs> I Damn. I know, right? You were, it's still you were there. Rolling. It's still there. So, just, just put it on there. You're not. You're not. You're gonna use this fucking take. But I'm gonna. I, <laughs> I, I'm just gonna post there. the raw audio from this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. This week we continue to ask the question: What if all our favorite '90s bands were fronted by women? With snail mail, the indie rock moniker of 18-year-old Lindsay Jordan. That's next on the Radio Cure. Hey Jerry. Oh hey, that was that was a that was a good second take. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. That's that's what I like to hear always. <laughs> <laughs> we all deserve a second chance. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Oh, I Except think I hear some cars racing outside my window. All the men in Hollywood. Other than that, we all deserve a second. Oh chance. yeah, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> Pro me too. Yeah. What have you? That's a that's a bring along from the cold start. Hopefully, who knows? Um, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> so, this seems like she, that uh, snail mail Lindsay Jordan is a part of this new class of uh, '90s rockers. Can I say a new class of '90s rockers? You can. It's it's 2018. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, but but a new class of of women kind of re rearranging this stuff and kind of uh, bringing new life to it. I, I had a few names here. Let's see if you agree with me. Uh, Vagabond, mm-hmm. Japanese House, mm-hmm. uh, Julian Baker, Charlie Bliss, Alex LaHaye, and Courtney Barnett. Yeah, I would say the last three are like very clear examples of it. But I mm-hmm. I, I agree overall. Well, yeah, I know Japanese house is more electronic, but uh, she's, you know, taking something and, and, and redoing it in a new light in a similar way. Yeah. Same with Julian Baker. Um, and she has some pacing like Julian Baker. Super slow. I agree. Um, and it's it's interesting. They're both like in, like insanely young, too. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much all of those uh, women are. Yeah, Other than, uh, Courtney Barnett may be a little older because she's got a couple of albums now, but yeah, I uh, yeah, I, I don't think she's like even thirty though, which is interesting so, to me because it would make sense for men of our advanced age to be into nineties shit, but because mm-hmm. the nineties is your your that's your favorite music decade, right? Uh, I mean that's my my the decade I was my musical <laughs> love was born in. So it's like my birth decade, even though I was born in the eighties. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's, it, it has a, a, a place for me. I also think that, that the post college stuff was pretty important to me too. Cause I was getting more into music. I feel like. Yes. Then. So that's like post shins, like death cab, uh, well shins and death cab and stuff like that. Yeah, like I, I feel like I got into music relatively late in my life, at least in a serious way. Um, yeah, it's interesting though that these 
very young people uh, are doing things that sound a lot like 90s music. I, I, I don't know why it is. I'm happy, well, here, but I don't know why. L- let me read. Uh, I've got a couple of things to read. Let me read the Rolling Stone one because it has uh, a point uh, to your to your question here. I think it gets okay. into an interesting conversation. Um, this is Corey Grove from Rolling Stone. With Snail Mail's Lush, that's the um, name of the record, uh, indie rock has officially entered its Black Crows era, where young oh. artists refigure music from the decade they were born. But that's not a bad thing here. Uh, as the brainchild of 18-year-old Lindsey Jordan, who counts Helium's Mary Timoney and Waxahachie's Katie Crutchfield, I probably should have said her too, as mentors, snail mail worship at the altars of Pavement, Liz Fair, and Dinosaur Jr. She's packed lush her debut full length with the same sort of smart lyrics and unquieted, unrequited, 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 no, unrequited. Unrequited, I think that's right. Love, personal dissatisfaction, and the places where those feelings coalesce as her forebearers and set them to as her forebears and set them to a soundtrack of chugging, glossy, glassy toned guitar. Now it's all downhill from here. Glossy With and the, glassy, huh? <laughs> glassy toned. Glassy toned guitars. <laughs> Lush is best, though, when Jordan stretches out beyond coffeehouse indie rock busking and embraces deeper Sonic Youth-style textures on tunes like Anytime and Deep Sea. Mm. I think I agree. So, <laughs> agree. Moving on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we'll speak no more of this. <laughs> so no, but I, 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 I like the... I stumbled like, my way through the back end, but Black Crow's era. What do you think of that concept? I have never cared for the Black Crow's at all. Um, no, but I guess what he's saying is that that Black Crows are making music like they were in the seventies because that's yeah. the decade they were born in, right? Mm-hmm. This is this idea that people have some sort of nostalgia for in and around the time that they were born uh, in the music that was happening. That is an interesting concept to me. Like clearly, that, that is an answer to my question that I asked earlier. That would have never yeah. occurred to me as something like. Like as a not, not a musical artist, uh, yeah. I would have always imagined that I would, if I were to be one, then I would want to do things that I liked, right? Like, or or things that were uh, important to me when I was like a teenager, I guess. Yeah. So that's but surprising, I, but I, I mean, it that seems to be true. But what if this was the music she grew up on? Say she was born in 1999, and so. Um, you know, so Judah was born in 2000, I better get this right, uh, 13, uh-huh. right? And so the music that he's been listening to since he's been born from my end, like just overhearing and stuff mm-hmm. like that might be some of that stuff right in there. Uh, you know, Holy Ghost, yeah, LCD, um, The National, yeah, uh, and so if he goes to make music, maybe nostalgic for him is to go back to that stuff that he heard when he was very, very young. Maybe that's what what she's doing here is that she kind of grew up in music. And so it's mm-hmm. this kind of reinterpretation of, of the stuff that you heard from your parents. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and... <clears throat> 
I mean, that that might be true. Like, it's possible also, though, that because um, bands like Sonic Youth and Pavement and all them were like pretty popular. The difference now would be like Holy Ghost is like that. That would be something Judo would probably get into if he like deep dives into music, right? Or maybe not, just because he heard it in the house. I, I, it's hard to say. I don't know. That's what I mean. That that you know maybe she uh, like like what would what would you be? Um, <laughs> what kind of artist would you be if if you had nostalgia for when you around the the decade where you were born? Um. <laughs> or, or what your parents listen to i guess is what we're doing here too well my parents listen to pretty shitty music (laughs) Um, so i'd probably be doing a lot of like christian rock and uh steve winwood style shit steve winwood okay yeah i feel you there yeah (laughs) so maybe she was born at a better time (laughs) she had cooler parents also possible (laughs) But this is this is interesting to me to me as a phenomenon. He calling he's calling it the Black Crows mm. era, the Black Crows phenomenon, where uh, music gets old enough to where the children that grew up listening to it are now making it again because it's cool again in in some kind of weird way. And I, I mean, I get that. Like when in high school. Uh, like Led Zeppelin was huge. I mean, right. think about Dazed and Confused, mm-hmm. and um, oh, I lost it. The uh, Mike Myers. I see a little silhouette of a hand, Kalamush, Kalamush. Mike Myers. Yeah, the movie. Oh, Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> With the Queen song in it. Oh, Jesus! People are so mad at me right now. <laughs> Um, oh, fuck. Um, (laughs) (laughs) it's the show they did. Oh my God. Well, let's move on. (laughs) Dana Carvey. You know what I'm talking about. Everyone knows what they're talking about. (laughs) Camera one, camera two, camera one, camera two. (laughs) Oh, what the hell is I talking about? Oh yeah. So, uh, there was this whole seventies vibe. Mm-hmm. Of the 90s. Oh, Wayne's World. <laughs> Wayne's World. There it is. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'll try to <laughs> cut that up so we sound less moronic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's probably not going to work out uh, well, though. <laughs> so what I'm saying is as a, as a phenomenon, it happens. I think it happens yeah. quite often, even. Um, and so this is, this is interesting. We've, we've reached uh, the other side of our... Uh, fandom where the kids are making records that we enjoy again. Yeah, the kids are coming up from behind, Nate. But we've war- we've we've lasted so long that now they're here. It's kind of alarming. It's not even like the kids right next to us are coming up from behind to change the sound, but mm-hmm. the kids have come all the way around and just do what we liked better. Yeah. Which I mean, I guess I'm all for it. Like, <laughs> aside from the fact that it makes me feel super old, I mean, this is shit that I really like, so why not do it better? Yeah, exactly. I won't read all of the pitchfork because obviously I'm having some sort of problem with reading tonight. 
Okay. Well, you but, started off well, and then things went to shit, and uh-huh. we had technical difficulties. So they were talking about how she uh, was in her early teens, like that. There was this separated from uh, this this uh, this kind of wall between mainstream and underground music, but that kind of like fell aside as she was, uh, you know, entering her early teens and stuff like that. So now, like, this whole eclecticism for her is just, like, second hat. It's, like, what she grew up with. It's not something that is, like, groundbreaking or anything like that. And so um, they just drop all kinds of people from, like, Frank Ocean, Fiona Apple, Taylor Swift, Paramore, uh, Paul Westerberg, Liz Fair, you know, all these kind of things that she's uh, bringing together. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, both Rolling Stone and Pitchfork kind of say this is not just tried and true indie of yesteryear. It is something that is born of this era that, right. is, that is very much right now. Yeah, I I could see that. It's it exists because of all of those people that came before. Um, but I, I I don't know it it but it doesn't it doesn't sound it doesn't sound exactly like any of it I guess mm-hmm. I feel like we've talked no. about this same concept with someone else before yeah. exactly when you when you do it well uh, you can't put your finger on exactly the band that this sounds like when you do it good but not you know, uh, groundbreaking, then you can be like, this sounds like this, this sounds like this, this sounds like this. Mm-hmm. So it's way easier to describe using the old terms and using the old bands. Yeah. When it's not executed in like this fresh way. But if it is you, you're like, yeah, it kind of sounds like this, but not really. You just can't really put your finger on it. Yeah. <clears throat> and that, that, that's the trouble I've had with this is like, it sounds like, so familiar yet I can't trace it back which is awesome to listen to but really fucking terrible if we're going to be talking about it on a podcast (laughs) (laughs) right Um, so I kind of came up well the the funny thing is is that I I put together the four songs in a playlist that we wanted to talk about and then I was listening to them you know how Spotify just plays something afterwards that sounds similar to what you're just listening to. And Cranberry's Dream. Oh, I love uh, the Cranberries. (laughs) It came on right after, and it was just like a wash over me. I was like, oh, my God, this song, not as cinematic, not as kind of like big and grand, but Mm -hmm. if it was just like slow, her and a guitar, I can hear this in Snail Mail. Uh, and it was just like this click where it's like, yeah, almost everything from that late nineties era, that was 1999 or no earlier than that, 94, 95, mm-hmm. um, that nineties era, you can kind of like, Oh, I can see how that sounds like that. Yeah. It was a real connector for me. Thank you, Spotify. Good job, Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, this album made me listen to a couple of uh, different artists that I hadn't thought about for a while. Uh, Pavement being one of them, which yeah. is a well-established Pavement super fan. <laughs> Pavement super fan. Pavement is like not in for me. Pavement is like er indie music, like pre indie music, like the primordial mm-hmm. ooze yeah. out of what indie music 
grew out of. Bridge figure. Yeah. That's why, like, assholes like me would be like, well, that's why it's the best. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but this, uh, the first, the first uh, track we're going to talk about, Pristine, mm-hmm. that, uh, that guitar lick that's in it in the beginning and kind of throughout yeah. it, it's like kind of repetitive. That sounds like it could have actually been sampled from Pavement. Yeah, I have pavement written down on this one. This one is more of a pure 90s rocker. Uh, even the uh, strumming patterns mm. of the guitar yeah, uh, sound really similar. In one of the reviews that I read or, or interviews, I think it was a review, um, it said that she was taught by taught the guitar by Mary Timoney. Well, I don't know if they mean that like metaphorically, like she listened to right. uh, helium stuff and, and that's how she learned how to play the guitar or, or if the the woman actually it sounded more like she actually did it but maybe i just took that in the wrong way i'm thinking now right i I look back but (laughs) but anyway you can tell that she kind of got her way of playing the guitar from these older sounds Yeah, definitely. And in the song Pristine too, I, I like the drums in it sound like very nineties too. It's like very heavy on the cymbal crashes, mm-hmm. which I yeah. love. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, where, where she pauses, where she exclaims, it, it all kind of has that nineties uh, feel. The, the thing with her voice and one of the things that kind of like uh, separated her from uh, the nineties uh, or, or like that kind of like that, late nineties kind of pre emo, which there is some emo sounding, uh, to her, to her voice, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's this less strained whiny teardrop tattoo kind of thing. I don't know if that's just cause she's a a woman or, uh, because she's just not like going so desperate, but there is this like just kind of tiny desperation that mm-hmm. that uh, is is in her voice, but not completely like the old stuff. Uh, yeah, I, and but, I I think it's to it's like a good singer, but she like doesn't do a lot of the choices she makes with her voice are things that like quote unquote good singers wouldn't do, like just like mm. saying a word instead of singing it. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, I I, um, I agree with you. the The whole album is is kind of about uh, teenage heartbreak. It'll make you feel like you're 18 again. It's it's so, um, kind of wrought with desperation mm-hmm. and that kind of ennui that is you, you finally kind of grow into this place where you're like, what well, what the fuck is life about yeah. for anyway? <laughs> and you're all kind of like sad sack. And uh, kind of emo faced. Uh, some great lines in this one, though. Is there anything better than coming clean? Yeah, <laughs> so good. <laughs> and then so ideal at the end. I'll never love anyone else. You know, she kind of says that over and over again. Don't don't you like me for me? 
Yeah. Uh, Where's like these kind of desperate teenage? Like generally, ideas. if you heard like an eighteen-year-old say that, you'd be like, "Oh, shut the fuck up!" But <laughs> she like delivers it in such a convincing way. She does. I mean, she's she's fully pot committed, which makes this music work. You know, mm-hmm. we always say you have to kind of commit to whatever emotion you want to emote, and the best emo music is the one where they really go for it. Yeah. Uh, she does. Her, the other thing in her voice, though, which reminded me of uh, Courtney Barnett before we move on to the next one, Stick, mm-hmm. is that she does have a little bit of like a slacker yes. sound to her voice, kind Definitely. of like that slow kind of slacker. We've, we've described Courtney Barnett and other people have too, kind of that slacker rock, like, hey, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like, it, it sounds like very teenagery in a way, but yeah, not, but not in a way that's like easy to dismiss because they're a stupid fucking teenager. <laughs> no, no. And, and the funny thing is that she is actually a teenager, but right. she is kind of wise beyond her years. And some of the songs in the back half of the album... It sounds like somebody who has gone through a mature relationship, not just some first love crush. Yeah, and it, it reminded me of Julian Baker in that way. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I have Julian Baker's name down for this next one, uh, Stick, just because mm-hmm. of how kind of slow and, and um, uh, kind of experience-driven uh, it all sounds to me. Yep. Like the first 30 seconds or so of the song, it's like that real like simple guitar with her singing mm-hmm. over it, which yeah, uh, I, I think for the first time on the album, this is like the, th- I want to say the fourth song or so. Um, yeah. It is the first time where I feel like her voice is really at the forefront of the song. I'll describe this in another one too later, but it has like this slow poetry verse, mm-hmm. um, coffee shop style, it, it, um, almost as if. Uh, and if you look at the lyrics, um, I have them right here. I'll pull them up for myself at least. <laughs> uh, it it feels kind of like a poem. It, it has mm-hmm. kind of this repeti- repetitive stanza tenor to it, even more than you know most songs do and 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 she kind of like you say like you've said before where she doesn't sing the um words more Mm. delivers them yeah kind of in a in a poetic way and then it's juxtaposed kind of with this sad emo pop chorus where it kind of picks up uh in the chorus it's not just that sad sacky you know snap my fingers uh, at a coffee shop kind of um yeah and i i love musically too and uh the, I think it's probably like a minute and a half or so into the song, but um, the song really seems like it's about to build to this like big rock moment, which most of the songs have done before. But then, mm-hmm. like, it swells up and then just cuts to this like very pretty and like kind of restrained electric guitar, and before it builds back up again. 
Yeah, the post-chorus to the outro, I like it because it just builds just a little bit and then stops. And it uh, on that line, who's happy alone, even when it doesn't make sense, and mm-hmm. just boom, right there. Yeah. Very kind of powerful. You 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 think that there would be uh, maybe like a sound of somebody frothing milk yeah. uh, in the background there <laughs> as it just kind of went silent in the coffee shop. But Deep Sea, this is the one where I felt like it was a really old soul song. Oh, it's absolutely. so beautiful and, and the emotions in it are, are are so deep. Maybe partially because it's less kind of like narrative and confessional and it's, it's more kind of metaphorical. So it it's kind of you can you can apply it to a lot of different more mature situations. Mm-hmm. And I I I think I feel the same way, but the the way I thought about it was that it was uh a lot more visual, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, yeah. You have that like real simple, like contemplative sounding guitar that opens the song. And then her voice jumps in like so suddenly that it actually like conjures this image of someone diving into water. And that's the first line she says, that's she the says first deep line, sea yeah. dive. Yeah. And then like from there on out, you can like totally like imagine this visual of mm-hmm. people just kind of like aimlessly floating around underwater. I don't know. At least I can't. That, that, that's what I saw. No, I agree. I have the lines uh, right here in front of me. It's about breathing and falling asleep and mm-hmm. going underwater, which is kind of like this sleep thing to a relationship or something like that. Yeah. But it, it's not about just kind of like teenage crush kind of remembrances you know a lot of the the stuff that she talks about and especially when i was talking about in pristine i'll never love anyone else you can really connect that to this first heartbreak of love but deep sea has this kind of deeper loss to it that you could um ascribe to a 10 year old marriage you know yeah in absolutely um, very easy. There's no stretch there. So that's why it kind of felt like, and then it has those kind of haunting horns in yeah. the, the background. It kind of, it kind of reminded me of like a, um, back half of a Decemberist album or something where, Oh, uh, definitely. Just kind of this like almost funeral dirge sounding to the horns. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then it goes from those horns to this, like, just like very atmospheric, like ending, but through like all these atmospheric songs, like the, or sounds, <laughs> sorry, the, like the, like the electric guitars, like just like cut through it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It, I, I said it was a guitar solo ish. There's yeah, like this exactly. nice groovy lick that is, is more guitar work than she's done in any other song. I feel like at least the ones that we've been, that, that we're talking about now. Um, and there's just a, a little bit enough of something uh, yeah. that it sounds really good. Guitar solo-ish is a good way to describe it because that's <laughs> what I thought too. But I was like, this is too slow to be a guitar solo. But it was like so at the forefront of the song. Yes. Yeah. It's just, just kind of little touches, flourishes of of guitar work there that, that really works well with, with kind of how slow to mid tempo all these songs are you don't want yeah. a ripper right in the middle of of you know this <laughs> this song yeah that'd be fucking weird <laughs> you know slash coming out onto the wedding chapel lawn yeah. <laughs> just to just to rip one off <laughs> as much as i would love that that's, that's not what i want here <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
So the la- the last one on the album and the one that I picked is very much. I mean, the verse is a poem. I mean, it it just kind of feels like that. It it reads like that, and it also kind of is performed in that way to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I love. Um, I, th- I we've talked about this sort of thing before, but an album closer that's like more like stripped down and slower than, than as really anything that's come before it on the album Mm -hmm. always gets me like the AAS did this on every album they've ever made. Like they do these like real bombastic, like especially their first album, like super punky, super loud. And then the last track on the album is this like slow ballad. It's almost like a a come down off of a drug. It, It works so well. It's also a very 90s thing, too, don't you think? Having these back half albums that are, or uh, back half songs that are just really a, a, a shift in mood and tone from the rest of the album. Yeah, I think so, too. And, and like, it, make, it making me think of the AAAs was like the first time I was like, oh, this is, this is something from another decade, not the 90s. But it's the, same, one, it's the same concept, though. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. This one um, got talked about in terms of a Jeff Buckley song. I can't remember which one it was. Mm. Um, that sounds right. It, to me, it sounds like uh, Pedro the Lion. The, it's so slow how mm-hmm. that very first Pedro the Lion stuff is, which is like pre-emo, emo-ish, you know? Yeah. Which I've, I've always contended that emo is very, flies very close to the Christian sun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you were <laughs> dangerously close, dangerously in its, close, and <laughs> it's uh, beginnings, feeble beginnings. Um, but it, it it just in this slow, slow narrative, and then the chorus especially just sounds like David Bazan. Yeah, I, I I love this as an album editor, and it's it's one of those things too where it's like if the whole album sounded like this, it'd be like, oh yeah, that was good. But the fact that this is the last song on this album specifically, I feel like makes it so much more powerful. Grace, born and raised, cuts you down and still bleeds the same. I, I had that one that. written that sounds, down too. That sounds that sounds very, very <laughs> like everyone can connect with that kind of childhood feeling, mm-hmm. no matter how old you are. Yeah. Like in the wrong hands, that could be about Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> that could could be about Jesus. When I in one of these songs did kind of sound like a praise and worship song to me. I think I think it was pristine. Uh-huh. Um and just had that pacing of it. I was like, okay. So if it's gonna be late nineties emo y indie rock, it's gonna sound a little bit to me like a praise and worship song. That's just yeah. gonna happen in my life. Yeah. Like, <laughs> doesn't mean anything about the music. I, I shouldn't take it as like sure. an indication of it being <laughs> shit. <laughs> it's just it's gonna happen to me. That just it's gonna be something that 
I, I smell in every song. I, I'm not in love with the absence because I have fallen for the space. Mm-hmm. That, that could be used in so many different state statuses. Yeah. On the social media. <laughs> tattoos. Yeah. I mean, that's just that's just a very nice little couplet there. Yeah. And it, it's one of those moments where you're like, wait, why are you capable of writing this when you're 18 years old? I know it's so mature because so much of music is about the absence, longing, pining for it. And it's almost as if the, the troubadour, the musician kind of falls in love with the absence, falls in love with wanting something that they can't have because that's the place that they can write the best music in. But she's more realistic in the sense that I don't want the sad sack place where yeah. I can be an artist. I'd rather have the actual thing. Yeah, and itself. and addressing it in a song is f- fantastic. Clevs, super clevs. Clevs, ironic, isn't it ironic? <laughs> There's a flashback to the '90s. Another '90s. I had a um, a blessed union of souls reference that I didn't get to throw down in pristine. Blessed says, union don't... of souls. Yeah. What is she that? She says, "Don't you don't you like me for me?" Uh, it's a band uh, in the late 90s. They had a song, She Likes Me For Me, not because I sing like Pavarotti. Oh, I knew that song. Or because I'm such a hottie oh. or something like that. <laughs> I remember that song. That that was released in the year she was born. Oh, fantastic. So a little callback to... Uh, her nostalgia, even if it was just kind of like underneath, like subconscious nostalgia, because she said, you don't like me for me. I mean, I feel like there's so many songs that I could sing almost every word to, and I don't actually know who did it. Do you feel the same? Did you? (laughs) No, just because they've been burned into our brain by the radio. We grew up with the radio. So it was just this random shit that got like just bore into our brain like yeah. the spin doctors stuff like that yeah know? spin doctors is a great example of that what was the other band um god that was somebody once told me the world oh, that, is gonna smash mouth yeah smash mouth that's another one it's like god why does everyone fucking know smash mouth i know, <laughs> you know? well they Think know two all of the bands everyone could know and how good Everyone would love them, but no, everyone knows fucking Smash Mouth. Right? <laughs> and I, 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 know, I know like two Smash Mouth songs by heart. The fucking <laughs> know, Walking on the saying. Sun and All Star. <laughs> Unbelievable. Smash Mouth is, uh, or Guy Fieri is the Smash Mouth of the Food Network. <laughs> Hot take. I feel, I'm not sure we've talked about this on the show, but I think we have talked about it before. I think that Guy Fieri and the Smash Mouth guy and Uncle Cracker are all the same person. Are the same person? Yeah. <laughs> like the Olsen twins? I'm pretty sure, yeah. I don't know how you're doing it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how, but I do know you are all the same person. <laughs> I would totally buy that. There has to be. I don't know if they know they're the same person. It might be like right. a multiple personality thing. He may just wake up one day being the Smash Goth guy. What do you think is best? I think Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives is his, his best work. 
out of all of that? Uh, yes, I would. I would say in my adult life, I enjoy Guy Fieri the most. That aspect of that one person's personality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I agree. At one point, I think it was Uncle Cracker. Uh, yeah. Well, see, see, like Uncle Cracker seemed like the uh, logical, more mature uh, artist once you <laughs> moved on from Smash Mouth, and then. <laughs> That's scary. <laughs> well, I think it's accurate. <laughs> We're nothing if not accurate. Yeah, that's, that's what we hang our hats on here at the Radio Cure. <laughs> nothing but facts. Funny, funny fact about Nate about Liz Fair is that. Mm. Do you remember Lilith Fair? Yes. The uh, festival. Hmm. I thought that that festival for the longest time was just the Liz Fair Festival. Yeah, I I definitely <laughs> had those two things like cross Completed. modulated in my brain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't know if it, if they even existed as two separate names to me ever. You know what I mean? Like no, I, Liz I Fair was, so was Lilith like, Fair, and Lilith Fair was Liz Fair. I know. So, so I was like, does Liz Fair play at every? Festival? I don't under. Are there other bands? I don't understand. What's, <laughs> are all the bands doing Liz Fair songs? That'd be what's interesting, on depending here? on the artists you had in there. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> a little peek behind the curtain there. Is there anything else you would like to uh, comment on Snail Mail? Maybe the name? Where do you think she came up with Snail Mail? Just kind of a vintagey name? I think she, while well, she's 18 years old, so she's probably enamored with this idea that people use the postal service at one point. <laughs> Maybe email a snail mail to her. That's what Right. <laughs> she's like, I've I've heard people say that before. Like email is snail mail. You is the new snail mail? Text or Slack or whatever. They'll be just telling uh old folk tales about this person mm-hmm. that came to your house with pieces of paper that other people wrote on. Yeah, f- what a phenomenal thing. concept. <laughs> I mean, I haven't sent or received a handwritten letter in Many years. I mean, I guess my grandmothers do. That doesn't count. Yeah, I was gonna say you don't get one from the. I was gonna. I get, say I get one from the grandmas. Okay. Good. Good. <laughs> Can you imagine uh, if they made a um, if they rebooted the Postman now? Kevin Costner. Remember that movie? Yeah. Yeah. What would it, what would he be there? He'd be like uh, he'd he'd be um, like a coder or something, right? Yeah. <laughs> the coder. The coder. What a weird fucking movie where there's eight people. Man. Oh God, it was a disaster. And that guy named that Pontiac, Ford Lincoln Mercury, was that his name? <laughs> yeah, he looked like a Pontiac, and his name was Ford Lincoln Mercury. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. God, what? Remember when we used to think that three hours of Kevin Costner was a good thing? I know. I feel like it happened semi-frequently. I heard the 90s, I guess. You had uh, Waterworld, Postman. I'm I'm fairly sure he was in a couple other three-hour fucking tomes. Yeah. When when are they going to... When are all these ladies going to reboot that shit? You know? (laughs) (laughs) The postwoman. The the postwoman. Waterworld. You can keep that title the same, probably. Maybe. Water world with chicks. 
I think that's the name of the porn version of that movie. <laughs> well, I feel like I feel bad because we always end in a little bit of a misogynist place when we talk about these ladies. I know we're what is we're that? simple men. <laughs> we, God forgive swing? us. <laughs> I'm sorry. We mean I'm no sorry. no offense. We need no offense. We're not wearing any pants, but we mean no offense. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing literally nothing because it's a million goddamn degrees in my apartment. It's a photo to prove it. <laughs> We're going to have to have a part two as I've removed more. <laughs> oh, stay tuned next week. I think that does it for us this time. Check out Snail Mail and tell us what you think by leaving us a review in iTunes. If you like your take, be sure to read it out on the show. And as always, follow the link in the show notes to all the reviews and music used in this episode to our website, theradiocurepod.com. Till next time, I've been Nathan Seal. With me with Jeremy Cohen. Thanks for listening to The Radio Cure. Bye. Ooh, that's a long one. <laughs>